Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21, please. The very end of your Bible. Revelation 21. It's New Year's Eve, the day before a new year. And that's a day when we often look back and look forward. We look forward often with hopefulness, anticipation, sometimes with questions. And the reason we often look forward is because we know all of the challenges and the difficulties and the heartache that we faced in this past year. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Those words from Andrew Peterson's song capture the longing of our human race. Deep down, we know that things are not the way that they should be. That we are not the way we should be. And in our series this month on light in the darkness, we've traveled through the history of humanity. We began by seeing that God is light. There's no impurity in Him, no possibility of change in Him. And in the beginning, God created physical light, And he did this to show us a great contrast between his purity and the impurity that sin, our sin, brought into the world. Because of our rebellion, the God of light could not dwell with those who were in darkness. And so we, humans who are bound in darkness, had to leave the place of light And we could not rescue ourselves. And so God sent a servant to be the light of the world, to give light to the nations, to bring sinners out of darkness and into His light again. And so the good news of this servant, this Jesus who came, this good news is the message of light and of hope, which we are to proclaim to a world of darkness around us. And as we proclaim it, we rejoice in this good news, don't we? Because we are those who have been brought out of darkness and into the light. And yet, even though the sunrise of Christ has dawned upon us, even though the new day has come, darkness is still present in our lives and in our world. We can't escape our sin. We can't avoid its terrible consequences. And so our world, our lives, our relationships are all broken. So even as we rejoice in the light which we have received and been drawn into, it still can be easy for us to be overwhelmed by the darkness inside and in our world. Is there really hope? Can there really be change? Will the light win? 
Let's look at Revelation 21, beginning with verse 1. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Move down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is God's word for us today. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Oh, we do. And for all eternity, the Lord will be our everlasting light. But what does that mean? What does it mean that God and the Lamb will be the light for His people? Two thoughts for us this morning from our text. First, God lives among us. And second, He reigns over us. First, He lives among us. John, who wrote this book of Revelation, sees a vision of the new creation, new heavens and a new earth. So, the God who created the heavens and the earth in the very beginning is now remaking them. But there's a significant difference between the creation we know now and this new creation which John sees. What is that key difference? Well, to answer that question, we need to ask a couple of other questions from our 
text. So first question, what is this city which John sees in Revelation 21 verse 1? You might say, well, Abe, that seems like a really obvious question. What is a city? Uh, It's a city. But as you see more of the descriptions that he offers, it seems to get a little more complicated. Look down at verse 2 of Revelation 21. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So it's a city, which is so glorious that it's like a bride on her wedding day. Is that it? Well, look down at verse 9 of Revelation 21. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Well, this seems to get more complicated the more we read. The angel says, I'm going to show you the Lamb's bride. Well, if you know your New Testament, you're immediately thinking a people. But then he sees a city coming down out of heaven. What in the world is going on? Well, there's no way to work through all of the details of this text this morning. And I hope that if God gives me and us enough time together in the years ahead, I hope that we can come back to the book of Revelation and walk through the whole thing. But I'm going to need to soak in the Old Testament for a long time before I do that. I I heard recently that there was one man who committed not to study the book of Revelation until he had spent 10 years in Ezekiel, 10 years in Zechariah, and 10 years in Daniel. Because you have to know the Old Testament and your whole Bible in order to accurately understand this last book. It pulls so much from the other books of the Bible that you can't just read it on its own unless you understand the rest of the Bible which has come before. All that to say, I'd love to come back to it at some time, but I'm going to need some gray hairs before then. But what is John saying about this city? It is a people. It is the bride of Christ. It is the redeemed people of God that He has gathered together to be His. Well, then we might ask, well, why didn't John just say a people came down out of heaven from God? Why would He, why would he describe them as a city? Well, we sometimes use this kind of terminology. Here's a few examples. All of London turned out for the coronation of King Charles. Well, we don't mean the buildings constructions, we mean the people who are a part of London. Brevard celebrated the Christmas festivities. We know that's the people of Brevard. The city of Charlotte showed up for the Panthers Super Bowl parade. Maybe someday. When we use the wording of city in this type of context, we mean the people who make up the city the people who are the inhabitants of this city. So John's point is that those whom the Lamb, whom Jesus died to save, are the dwelling place of God. God's people are the place where God lives and God reigns in the new creation. 
Okay, so that's one question. What's the city? Second question is, why is there no temple in this city? Do you remember that? Verse 22, we read this. John says in verse 22, I saw no temple in the city. Why does he point that out? Well, let's review a little bit. What was the temple? It was the building where God's presence resided and where God's people could come to meet with God. Now, why didn't God's presence reside everywhere? Isn't God omnipresent? Doesn't He exist everywhere? In one sense, yes. But you know the story of the Bible. In the beginning, God's entire creation was very good. There was no darkness, no taint, no sin, no impurity. And so where was God at that time? He walked in the garden with His people. But when sin entered the world, God could not dwell with His people any longer. They had to go out of His presence, out of the garden, and so they were away from the presence of God. But God made a plan, and eventually He created a way for humans to come close to Him. There was a tent called the tabernacle, and then later there was a building called a temple, which was where God said His presence would reside on the earth and where His people could approach Him if they came the correct way. But humanity's access to God was really limited because the people could only get in a certain, a certain distance and there were barriers along the way and only one person, the high priest, could get into the presence of God and only one time a year. That's really restricted access. But centuries later, a man appears who claims to be God with us. God is once again walking among His people. And this man, Jesus, claimed to be the new temple in John chapter 2. He was the way that God came to humanity and He is the way by which humanity meets with God. And what is astounding is that as you read through your New Testament, we learn that all of the people who are connected to this One, who are united to Jesus, become a temple in which God dwells. Peter and Paul both talk about God's people being living stones who are built up into a structure in which God will dwell. And so here at the very end of human history, John sees a vision of God with us fully realized. We are back in Eden where God is among His people. But it's even better than Eden because there will no longer be any separation of God from His people ever again. God will be with His people in His place forever. This is why there's no temple in the new creation. There's no building needed. Because you don't go anywhere to meet with God. God is everywhere in the new creation with us. God's splendid glory fills up 
every nook and cranny. His light shines into every part of His new creation. And what are the results of that? What happens when God shines and there is no darkness to oppose His light? Two thoughts for you. When God lives among His people, God's splendor guides His people. Look down at verse 23 of Revelation 21. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. What does that mean? Its lamp, the city, this place, this people where God is dwelling, His glory is shining among them, and the Lamb is its lamp. Well, what is a lamp? It's something which provides illumination and even guidance. You remember the psalmist's words in Psalm 119? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So God's written truth is a light that guides us. But in the new creation, the Lamb Himself will guide His people. He Himself will lead us. And John wrote about this earlier in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 7. He says, The Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water. When God's glory shines in the new creation, we will not have to wonder, where do I go? Or what do I do? Or what decision should I make in this situation? You will no longer have questions or lingering doubts because Jesus, God with us, will direct us forever. And what does He direct us to do? Look down at verse 24. By its light, by the city's light, and what did we say the light was? It's God and the Lamb. So by their light will the nations walk. They will be guided. And what are they doing? The kings of the earth will bring their glory into the city. Verse 26. They will bring into the city the glory and honor of the nations. What does that mean? What does it mean that the kings of the nations bring their glory and honor into the place where God resides with His people? Well, let's go back to one of the prophets because John is quoting from Isaiah. Isaiah 60. Turn back there and I want you to lay your eyes on one of these verses. Isaiah chapter 60. What does it mean that the rulers of the nations bring their glory into the place where God dwells? Isaiah 60 Verse 19, the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. Does that sound familiar? John's basically quoted that. End of the verse, verse 19, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Isaiah says that God himself 
is the glory, the splendor of His people. The best thing about us is the God who is with us. And so, all of these nations who are worshiping the one true God of heaven bring their worship into the place where God resides with His people and they all share their worship with each other as they praise Him. Some of you may know that our, one of our mission partners, Frontline Missions, has engaged in this project called Worship Round the World. And what Tim Kazee is doing with one of his friends, uh, writer Tim Challies, is that they are traveling around the globe, visiting with different local churches, and videoing, recording their worship services to capture a glimpse of how these different nations are worshiping the one true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And I can't wait for this to come out. They visited places like Fiji, Cambodia, Korea, Zambia, Chile, Mexico. Now, just with that little smattering of examples, can you imagine the diversity of the kinds of services that are going on in these different places? Can you imagine the diversity of the musical styles? Can you imagine the diversity of the spaces of worship in which they gather? Can you imagine the diversity of the ways that they respond and interact physically, verbally? John, in Revelation, sees people from all these different nations and they're bringing their glory, their worship of the one true God into the place where God is dwelling with His people and all of this diversity is for the glory of God. So when God is among His people, God's people worship Him. And that's what we see happening in the book of Revelation. God's splendor guides His people to worship Him. But second, God's splendor guards His people. Look down at verse 25 of Revelation 21. The gates of the city will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Okay, so the gates of the city will never be shut during the day. And in case you wondered if they're going to be shut at nighttime, there's never going to be nighttime, so the gates are never going to be shut, period. Now, what is significant about gates in a city? Gates are an entryway, a way of access. But gates are also meant as a way of protection. You may remember the story from the reign of King David. Shortly after he became king, he was trying to conquer the city of Jerusalem. But the Canaanite people who were still in that city, the Jebusites, were so confident in the safety of their city that they mocked, they trash-talked David as he stood outside the city. And rather than assaulting the city head-on, David sent some of his people through the water shaft to crawl up inside the city. And they infiltrate the city from inside to take it down. But the point of gates is that the gates are to keep enemies and danger out. Gates were often closed at nighttime so that danger couldn't enter while people were sleeping. 
But what happens if gates are never shut? That means there's no danger any longer. There's nothing to threaten God's people when they are with Him in His place. So brothers and sisters, when God's glory shines in the new creation, when He dwells among us, we will never have to fear anything again. You will not hear words like debt or breakup or cancer or stroke or miscarriage. We will never fear again. And why? Look down in verse 27. Nothing unclean will ever enter the city, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. No evil can come close to God. So, what are the descriptions in this verse? Nothing unclean will ever enter the city. Who are the unclean? Well, if you know the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, you know that the people who are unclean are those who are impure in some way. They cannot approach God's presence in the tabernacle or the temple. And oftentimes, people were impure not because they had sinned, but because they had some sort of disease or had encountered a dead body. Impurity keeps you from being in the presence of God. What about detestable? No one who is detestable will enter that city. These are the hateful and abominable. Those who have chosen to walk in the darkness. And because they have walked in the darkness in rebellion against God, they cannot come into His light. What about the false? These are the ones who deceive. They deceive themselves and they deceive others. I'm okay with God. I belong in His presence when they truly do not belong. So who does belong in God's presence? If the impure and the abominable and the Uh, deceptive, the false, cannot be in His presence, then who can belong? End of verse 27. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who gave His life, Jesus, who laid down His life on the cross for the sins of the world, has a book in which are written the names of those that He has chosen to be His and who believe in Him. These are the names of those who will be in the creation. These and only these will be in the presence of God. Why? Because those who are in the Lamb's book of life are the ones who have been drawn out of darkness and into the light. They are the only ones who have been made pure and can stand in the blazing light of a holy God. So where is your name? written is it written in the lamb's book of life are you one of those who have turned from the darkness and who have been brought into the light or are you still out in the night are you still impure and unclean are you still walking 
in hateful and defiling pursuits? Are you still deceiving yourself and trying to deceive other people that somehow you belong in God's presence when you don't? You must turn. You must turn from your own way and turn to the God who is light. Turn from your sin and from the darkness and repent and come to the one who is the light so that you might be in the Lamb's book of life and be in the presence of God as we see here. When God is among His people, evil cannot dwell there. And when God is among His people, God's people are safe in Him. The Lord will be our everlasting light because He will live among us. But the Lord is also our light because He reigns over us. You might have noticed this in the first few verses of Revelation 22, which we read. A couple of times, there is reference to the throne of God. And this image of a throne recurs repeatedly through the book of Revelation. If you were to go through the book of Revelation and circle it or highlight it or hit it with a color of some kind, it would be all through the book of Revelation. What does it convey? What is this image of God and the Lamb on a throne? What does that communicate to us? God is in control. The Lamb reigns over all things. He is in charge. And so the terrible events of our world, the sins of our own hearts, cannot overcome His reign and His good purposes. He will accomplish His good plan for His people and for His creation. Now, if we believe the Bible we would assent to that truth. Yes, I believe God is in control. But sometimes that's hard for us to really believe all the way down, isn't it? Because what we see around us and what we feel inside of us makes us think that God's not really in control. If God is in control, why are there tyrants like Putin and terrorist groups like Hezbollah. If God is in control, why do people groups oppress each other? Why do humans traffic each other? If God is in control, why do the narratives of sexual liberation and gender transition dominate our culture? Why? And the answer is because God's rule and His kingdom has entered our world, but we don't see it fully realized yet. The day has dawned. The sunrise of the new day has started. But the full day has not yet come. And so, the light is driving back the darkness but the darkness is still present. But John's vision in Revelation shows us a day when night will be no more. God's people will need no light of lamp or sun because there will be no darkness. 
The Lord God will be our light and He will shine through every part of the new creation. And as Matt Collier said earlier in our series this month, in the beginning, darkness reigns and light does not even exist. By the end, light reigns and darkness does not exist. And why is that the case? Why will the light reign unchallenged by any darkness? Because the Lord God and the Lamb will reign unchallenged by any enemies. All His enemies will finally and fully be crushed under His feet. There will be no resistance to His glorious reign. There will be no enemy to challenge His rule. He will be the eternal and unrivaled King. And what will that reign look like? Well, John gives us two images in the first part of Revelation 22. In verse 1, he shows us a river. And in verse 2, he shows us a tree. The river is the river of the water of life. And the tree is the tree of life. Now, where does this river flow from in verse 1? It flows out from the throne of God. God's rule, His reign, gives life to His people. And what's alongside this river? A tree. And apparently... It's either a really ginormous tree or it's many individual trees of one kind because it's along both sides of the river. So maybe it's like a giant redwood that spans the river. And the river runs through the middle of it. Or maybe it's many trees alongside. But what are these trees characterized by? They have leaves for the healing of the nations. Verse 2. Where God reigns, life thrives. Can you think of a place in Scripture where there was a luscious area through which a river flowed and in which a tree grew which gave life? In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, it was a place of life. Because God was there. Life was there. But death came into that garden because of our sin. And so God's people had to leave God's place, as we've said before. And so ever since that time, death, rather than life, has characterized our human race. But thousands of years after that terrible event, another one of God's prophets had a vision of restoration. So, let's go to another prophet. Turn with me to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 47. This prophet has a vision of restoration, of things being made new. And it's eerily similar to what we've just seen in Revelation 22. Ezekiel 47 Verse 1, then he, the angel, an angel, 
brought me, Ezekiel, back to the door of the temple. And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. And then in the coming verses, what Ezekiel is going to see is that this trickle of water coming out from the temple gets wider and deeper, and it turns into a river that you have to swim through. Verse 6, Then the angel led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. Verse 12, And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. So Ezekiel sees a vision of a river and on either side of the river, trees with leaves that bring healing. For Ezekiel, the river is flowing out of God's temple, the place where he resides. For John, he sees the river flowing out of God's throne, the place where he resides and from which he rules. It's essentially the same vision. And what are we seeing? We're seeing the remaking, the re-enlivening of creation, the healing of creation. In this new place, when God is among His people, we are healed from every harmful thing. Woohoo! Praise God for that. No more eye problems, no more hearing loss, no more aching joints, no more sinful desires which keep rising up in our hearts, no more disunity between family members, no more hostility between nations, no more suspicion between ethnic groups. In God's light and under His rule, there is healing. Nothing to curse us, nothing to plague us anymore. Look at verse 3 of Revelation 22. No longer will there be anything accursed. When did a curse enter the world? With Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. And what did that curse and that sin bring? It brought death. So if, if in this new creation there is no more curse, if there's no more sin, then there's no more death. The darkness is totally eradicated. Death is gone. Light shines and life will never end. That is something to be excited about. God's rule gives life to His people. But God's rule produces fellowship with his people. Look down at verse 4 of Revelation 22. His servants will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. What does it mean to see someone's face? When you spend long amounts of time face to face with someone, what happens? When you have two dear friends who see each other after a long absence, what happens? 
When a husband and wife come face to face in marriage, what happens? When people come face to face, they know one another. There is a deep intimacy and a sweet fellowship which cannot be experienced apart from one another. So if we, if God's servants will be face to face with God, what does that mean? That we know Him and have deep intimacy and sweet fellowship with Him like we have never experienced before. But wait, Abe. I thought God told Moses in Exodus, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. God did say that. Because sinful humanity, humans locked in the darkness of sin, would be obliterated by the holy light of God. But... When the darkness of sin has been obliterated from us through the work of the slain Lamb on the cross and by His resurrection, then we can come face to face with God the Almighty and know Him and dwell in His blazing presence for there is nothing in us to keep us away from Him any longer. We can know Him and we will be identified with Him. Look down again at verse 4. We will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. That seems like a weird image. We got some sort of sticker or tattoo. What's going on? Well, do you remember who in the Old Testament wore a plaque on their forehead with the name of God engraved on it. The high priest, Aaron, would wear a plaque on his forehead when he walked into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. And as he did so, as he was engaging with the presence of God, he was identified with God. But here, in the new creation, This isn't just one person, a high priest. This is every one of God's servants who come face to face with God and who reflect God's glory and show that we are His. We are identified with Him. But we don't just know Him and we aren't just identified with Him. Look down at the end of verse 5. And they will reign forever and ever. The Almighty God, the Lamb who was slain for us, the King of the universe, will actually share His royalty with us. We, we, we tired, weary, sinful, frustrated, irritated, impatient people, we get to reign as kings with the eternal King. That is an incredible privilege. So brothers and sisters, at the end of one year and the beginning of a new year, this is our glorious hope. That whatever comes in the time ahead of us, this is the great end of the story of humanity. 
Is all creation groaning? It is. Is the new creation coming? It is. And is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Oh, it is. Because when your suffering seems all-consuming, you need to remember this hope. When Christianity seems to be losing, you need to remember this hope. When the siren call of the world seems so alluring, you need to remember this hope. The God who is light is eradicating the darkness. He will live among His people. He will rule over us. He will cast out sin and death. And we will be safe in His light forever. Amen. Let's pray. And so, Lord Jesus, we believe these things to be true, but we ask that you would drive them further into our hearts so that we would hold to them when life is hard, when pain is intense, when loss is so difficult. We pray that you would help us to remember what is true Help us to remember this end of our story, the end of your story. And I pray that you would help us to believe again today who you have made us to be. We are yours and we are with you now and forever. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.